Okay, and welcome to another Rocking Chair podcast. I am joined by Ron Thomas, Peter DeGarris and David Clarkson, the founders of Thomas DeGarrison and Clarkson in Panola and now including surrounding areas. TDC, um, as it is often quite known, it was founded, uh, was begun on the 12th of September 1988. Basically, today's podcast is going to be about how the business started, where the three founders came from and how it became to be one of the uh, sort of premier local businesses in our area. Um, first of all, I'd like to speak to the first man in the name, uh, Ron Thomas. Um, I'm told, Ron, you grew up in Blythe and Snowtown around surrounding areas? Yeah, on, on the Kandawi Plains, um, Bradley, but then uh, finished up going to school in Adelaide. Okay, and so what were your parents doing when you were surrounding in those areas? Farming. Farming? Yeah. Mainly cattle and sheep or cropping or? Cropping. Cropping, okay. When it rained. <laughs> when it rained, okay. So in those early days, did you have a, was the passion for farming evident or were you sort of just a young whippersnapper running around or? Yeah, I think the second one fits it, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. And your school in Adelaide, whereabouts? Only High. Only High, okay, fantastic. Um, and then so moving in, so you went to Unley High and then when you left school, what was your sort of first role? I joined up with Gold Remorts at Blythe on the second of the second of February nineteen fifty two. Okay. Mm. Yep. And as a as an agent or as a pen pusher. Pen pusher. Okay. And how long were you at with Gold's Remort? Up until the, I suppose the merge of Elders, which was nineteen. I went there nineteen fifty two. That was nineteen sixty three. Okay. That's when we became Elders GN. Right. And, and you're still in Blythe Snowtown at this point. No, no, I'd moved down to um, Kalangadu by then. Right, okay, fantastic. And then, so I'll talk to us, Peter DeGarris now. So Peter, you, I'm told you were born in Narracourt, um, grew up mostly Narracourt, um, and you attended Narracourt Primary and then Prince Alfred. That's correct. That's yeah. right, and you grew up on a farm? No, no, I grew up, Dad was manager of uh, Elders at that stage, and then Elders GM, so Dad was a stock agent all his life, and uh, I grew up in Narracourt. Okay. Um, so, similar question. You have an interest as being a stock agent as a young fella, or well, I was basically anointed, I suppose. Yeah. But I was interested because you know I was the I was the uh, fourth generation. So, and then Mark's I was fourth, and Mark's now the fifth generation stock agent. Okay. So and you, um, so you left school in what year? Nineteen sixty-five, and I started work with Elders GM. Right. On the 1st of January 1966. Okay, and you were there f in the Vietnam? Well, I went uh, from there, I was transferred. I worked under my father, which was pretty unusual. And then uh, 12 months later, I went to border town under Johnny Miller. Okay. And I was called up for national service after that. Right. And you were in national service for how long? Two years. Two years. And I came back and went to uh, start a work at uh, Loxton under jo with John Scholes. And then I went to Peterborough. Strathalbyn, Meningi, and left Meningi to come back here. And throughout this time, you're main primarily a livestock agent? I started off like Ronnie, just as a pen pusher, and then they transferred. A, it was a sort of a graduating thing in those days. If you joined a stock agent as a young, you did the, well, if you're an Adelaide, you went to correspondence. Well, in, in, uh, in the bush, you, uh, you would just worked on the front desk, and then you went to merchandise, and then you usually went to run the books of a branch, and then you got the job as a stock agent and I went to, uh, as a st my first job on the road was uh, at Strathalbyn. So roughly how old are you before you sort of made your way to be the livestock agent? Uh, 23 or 23? 23? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then you found yourself back in this region by what year? Uh, came back here in 19, we were married in 72, 73, came back to live on the farm. Okay. Had to get to... Uh, approval from the board of elders to come and work as a stock agent and live on a farm because they didn't like it in those days. You couldn't basically own a farm if you were a stock agent. Okay, why is that? Because they were worried that you might be working against the interests of the clients and have a farm and ah, and that's uh, all the young fellas have got farms and stock agents today and up in Gold <laughs> was they are all the same, weren't they? They, wouldn't <laughs> let you, they didn't want you to have a farm because they knew that you'd, they were worried that you'd take advantage of your situation. Okay. Oh, interesting. All right, thank you. And then David Clarkson. Um, 
told me earlier that you were born in Adelaide, spent a fair bit of time in Cleve and Port Lincoln. Is that right? That's right, Brad. Yeah. Um, your father was a GP. Did you he, say? he was a general practitioner at Cleve uh, in pre-war, pre uh, 1937. We went there, and um, uh, some pretty hairy situations he came across yeah. in his his lifetime at Cleve. Uh, we left left Cleve in 1946 and came to Port Lincoln, where I did finish my primary school. Then uh, uh, came across to Adelaide as a boarder at Prince Alfred's for five years, after which Dad said, son, I can't afford to have you there anymore. You better get yourself a job, which right. I did. Uh, I joined Goldsboro Morts at Port Lincoln under Jack Box in uh, January January 54. Had uh, about 18 months there and was shunted up up the railway line to Lock. Uh, from there, Riverton, where I met my wife, um, we had uh, we were transferred from well, I, I was transferred to, to Middleton, and then we were married while while I was in Middleton. Um, went to uh, from there back to Adelaide for twelve months in the stock department, which was uh, good fun, but a, a, a not much more than the taxi service for the for the Adelaide meat buyers. Then uh, from there, most of my life was was uh, elders and then elders, elders GM were in the pastoral districts. Like Borough, Hawker, Wentworth, Ivanhoe, and that's where I left. Um, Elders GM uh, came down to to Camorm uh, and uh, managed a farm there for twenty years. Okay, and that was Windigi. That was Windigi. Okay. Yes, fantastic. Yeah. And that has that was bought out by Pines in the end. That was yeah. bought bought out by Pines. I I managed a, a, a stock business for Adrian De Bruin for about eighteen months. Running sheep and pine trees, which didn't suit me all that much. Okay. Uh, didn't enjoy it. However, that that was that was fine. Yeah. Now, probably a question for Peter and Ron. Um, so you both worked together in the Panola Elders Branch. Yeah, when I when I came back to Panola in 1973, uh, the deal was with Elders that I could never be manager of the branch while I had a farm. And uh, and Father and I schemed up basically that. I told him I didn't want to go to Narrow because I couldn't work on the farm. I didn't think that was right, but I didn't really want to work in Narrow so uh, I came back to Penola and worked with Ron Thomas, manager of the bike shop. So, Ron, um, early impressions of Peter? <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't as late in those days. <laughs> <laughs> weren't as many watches. Oh no, it was a pretty handy acquisition to the to the branch. I tell you. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So I knew. So how many years roughly would you two work together before oh, before the beginning of TDC? I mean. Oh, I came here in '73. Okay. But, um, so we were 15, 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. Okay. Well, '71 I came here. I think. Yeah. How many did we have in the branch in those days? Well, there were four cars. And two out, the, two at the back on the merchandise. Vans on the back side. Yeah. Scrubby. Well, the, the scrubby wasn't there then. He was later. Mm -hmm. Debbie, Debbie Lynn was the officer. Yeah, Debbie was there. It must have been about eight, eight or nine people. Yeah. yeah. So we sort of made our way up to sort of late 80s. What, when did you two begin your chats, or the, all three I should say, um, about the beginning of TDC? So September 88 was when we started. Uh, when was it sort of... When did you sort of have the idea of going out on your own? Yeah. I don't know, Peter, remember, we um, drowned out by bloody computer paper and Tommy Rogers wanted to, I think, budget every week. And I walked into Peter one day, I said, I've had a guts full of this, mate. I said, we could do this on our own. And old Pete looked up and said, you think? And uh, I don't know when that was quite, but, but that's sort of when it, when it got going. It was probably about February, March, would it be, Peter? Yeah, we schemed up that we wouldn't go until... We schemed up that we wouldn't go until uh, the start of the stock busy time. Right. So, uh, and I think one of the catalysts for it was a fellow called Elliot, because he was trying to run the show like a brewery and didn't really care about his staff. Uh, and in those days, you, it, it was an honour to work for him. He didn't get paid much money, did he? Absolutely, yeah. And I had a couple of kids heading off to boarding school and, you know, that was, uh, I realised that, that even though we had a farm, well, that wasn't making much money, but uh, the only way to get, was for me to move on and others to get more money or 
stay where we are and this opportunity came to start the business. And, but you remember that they wanted to put the commission up for 5.5%? Oh, yeah, that's right. And you went away on holidays. And Tom Rogers bobbed in. He wanted to see you. didn't ever forget you're on holidays. And he said, I want to talk to you then. I said, what about? He said, why haven't you put your commission up? Well, we already knew that we were scheming to go out on our own. Right. And Earl had put the commission up for 5.5%. And we were only on 5 Well, that sort of put us in a good light with most of our clients anyhow. Okay. So um, so, Ron, sounds as though it was roughly your idea. Um, are you at what stage of the year are you discussing this with clients? Like you've just said, you had the di- difference in commission rate potentially. Oh. Like, was it all hush? Was the secret kept pretty well until oh, yeah, you announced it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, until it got to the stage. Uh, it got to the stage that it got out. And Darcy Nolan had picked it up in Narricourt somewhere. And he rang me, and we had John, uh, Steve Evans was down doing a tax for the night. And uh, Steve had heard from Darcy that it was r- mooted. And I thought, well, we've got to bring this to a head now. So I rang Ron and said, well, I'm going to resign. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> that was a dream, wasn't it? That's right, you're a dream down there. That's correct. Anyhow, that's what happened, wasn't it, that particular night? And David... Um you came into the business sort of how did you sort of come about you uh, I'd, I'd, I'd done through through the, the farm I was managing we did a lot of business with I did a lot of business with Ron and Peter we've had a few trips away together didn't we uh, we won't go into that um, but uh, they came out and saw me I think it was in April of that year and set the seed that they may be thinking about this sort of thing would be would I be interested having had experience and uh, um, I said yes. <laughs> the, the climate that I was working in at, the, at that time with with the um, uh, sheep with lice and foot rot and whatnot, um, I didn't enjoy that much at all. And uh, too right, I'd go that. I'd, I'd be in that like a flash. Yep. And Ron, um, the purchase of the building that has now become a pretty extensive building, um, purchase of Jim Mackay. Mackie? That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, was that purchased by just you or you, all three of you, or? I reckon it was two of us. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, I was in it. We had it too. Oh, right. Sorry about that. Um, but didn't we... Oh. I, I, didn't we, over, over a period, paid... I, th- I think from memory I put in $6,000. Would that be right? Uh, I think at the beginning, uh, uh, that that wasn't a complete purchase, but uh, over a period we we paid Lenore off on uh, on a yearly basis, on a sort of a rental basis. I yeah, think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. In fact, that was another um, advantage in um, or given us an incentive to go out on our own. With Jim, Jim's had the place on the market here, like building and business, mm. and um, it was a sort of a launching pad from from there. And this Ron and Peter, um, who were some of the early clients that sort of helped you set up the business that said, yep, we'll come with you. We're more than willing to leave elders because there's still, these days, there still are some traditional clients that will never want to leave elders due because they're grandparents, etc. But who were the, sort of the catalysts to help you, you know, give you the confidence to start that business? Oh, there, was, there was a lot of uh, loyal clientele, like the Lins uh, and uh, the Clayfields. And uh, McLean's. There was uh, there was a lot of people remembered the the Garrison sons. The Clayfields were extremely loyal to the Garrisons, and when I went on my own, they volunteered their business. But there was a lot of other good clients too, weren't there? Ronnie, like the Bennetts. Yeah, well, Rommels, Rommels gave us their business just about straight away, didn't they? And uh, matter of fact, she was at that. We had an opening party, remember that? Yeah. And it was in that other scrapbook that's missing with the, the, the all where the Rymel family were fantastic. And a lot of the uh, soldier settlers were still going in those days. Yep. Uh, and they were they were pretty loyal to us. People love giving people a go, you know. And you had a client relationship that was built up with people, and I don't think a lot of people were impressed with John Elliott either, to tell you the truth. Okay. 
Mrs. Riley said you, you, he was our best client, didn't you? Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was, if we go back, Pete, when, when we went to Narra Court and we met... Um, oh, no, no, the two eldest fellas, I reckon... Um, who, was, who was the manager in Adelaide at that time? Ken Beek, yeah. Ken Beek yeah. had come from, he hadn't been a stock owner, but he'd come from the box. That's right, yeah. That yeah. And we, at <coughs> any rate, we met, it was, it was, it was Bruce Law. was it Peter Taylor? Peter Taylor was there. And, and they, they started to talk fairly flash sort of money. We thought about it coming home, but still we didn't change our minds. And um, then Meek came down and we, we, we had, had lunch at the, the, the Royal Oak, didn't we? Took our keys away. yeah. But he, he wanted to know what why we were leaving, and so he could um, improve the elder setup like hell. But well, I'm not telling you anything, pal. <laughs> anyway, so as soon as they left, he was he was down to first of all cut cut our phones off, and get the keys to the car. Well, we we beat him on the, on the phone by about a week, and we kept their phone, <laughs> phone numbers. Yeah, so uh, R Rambo they called him. Oh, John King. Yeah. There'll be blood in the streets. That's right. Yeah, there'll be blood in the streets, yeah. So you had a lot of loyal clients come over with you. Um, so was there a leave period you weren't allowed to contact your clients yeah. in those yeah, days? Yeah, yeah. the honeymoon period. Was it, was it a month, month, I reckon. Month. But I was driving around his farm, yeah, catching up with people and all yeah, that. Yeah, so I was. It really <laughs> happened. But what, what, they were, what they were painfully frightened about is that really... There hadn't been a regime of private agents in the southeast to any extent since 1947. That's when the garrison sold to elders. There'd been one private company that had been quite successful. That was EF and V, Edwards, Fearing, Vickery and Bates. But they were the only ones, weren't they? And then after we did our trick, there was a, a wave of them. Then PPH&S started up. Lawn John. Yeah, well, O'Connor Graney were going before us. Was that sort of a was this other private companies a bit bit of a catalyst as well to give you a bit of confidence that you could do it as well? Oh, we had a good relationship with O'Connor and Graney because yep. they actually wanted they came out to see me when I was working for Elders, and we had a kitchen meeting one night with a Peter O'Connor, turned up with a six pack, and uh, Gary Graney to see if I'd become the panola part of their business and I thought about it. My father only died a few weeks before and it just wasn't appropriate. Okay. But that was why we've got such a good relationship with O'Connor and Graney today. It was good right from the word go, wasn't it? Yeah. And of course, what the bloke that probably helped us as much as anybody was old Frankie Escott, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a bit about Frank. Who was... Frank was marvellous. Frank Escott was... Uh, private uh, agent, well not so much private agent, he came and represented uh, Oates and Co in Narracourt from Adelaide and he was living at Willaluka on Brecon uh, and then they went with Danny Lascelles didn't they originally yeah. after Oates and then at the merger with Denny's and Elders he wasn't happy was he? Uh, yeah something like that and then he uh, started his own company. Well, at the moment that we went on our own, he was on us like a ton of bricks, wondering where we were going to sell our stock in Narracourt, and offered us the opportunity to go in uh, the Wiener sale in Narracourt, which uh, was one of a, a bit of a unique sale at that time. Ronnie started those sales and elders when we had Wiener sales. You started them, Ron, that's, isn't it, that in, yeah. in the southeast? Because you and Corridors were great mates at Cassidon. Okay, <laughs> just quickly, Ron, tell us about the start of the Wiener sales. I was going back into elders' time. Yeah. Um, Brad, um, as, as Peter said, I was sort of mates with Brian Corridors, who was a legend in the Newmarket. Okay. And um, he got, then he got Cassidon really firing. And they used to have big numbers there, Peter, didn't they? Well, we couldn't see why we couldn't do it over over here at Panola, and um, it just sort of grew from there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was fairly difficult getting some of the clients to hold on to their cattle, but they, but but, but it it worked. It, we went from about a yarding of about four or five hundred up to one one day we had fifteen hundred in those yards out there. Yeah. 
How, yeah. how we ever squeezed him in, I don't know. But Tim Davis might have helped. Tim Davis helped, as you mentioned that, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's, that's where it, it sort of all started. But and the, other one, the other side who started, Ronnie, he got going to the joint female side, the white folks. So that was the first joint female episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. In fact, I went <coughs> and another talking about another fellow that wanted us to go go with him was um, Neil Otterson. Oh, he came down and came down and see us, didn't he? Yeah, in your lounge room, when he walked out, we thought well, we're going to do this by ourselves. We don't need <laughs> him. Yeah. Right. So, David, if you could just if you could explain to um, the people sort of what all three of your roles were and how you sort of like in every partnership sort of you break down your roles, you sort of bounce off each other, but how did all three of you work together? Uh, Bradley, I, I guess you could you could call it, uh, uh, there, was a, there was a hierarchy. Yep. Ron, Ron was, he, he was in charge. Peter Peter was outside all the time. I was looking after the, the office. Yep. Um, after I, I, I became uh, fairly sick in, in uh, 1954 and unfortunately had to pull out, but... Um, in that 1994 1994 yeah. yeah um no i had to, i had to pull out uh, unfortunately but never mind that's a, that's a water under bridge um we had a we had a pretty good relationship it was uh, um uh, we each had our our uh, section to look after i, d I did uh, a bit of insurance a little bit of um the rental positions um rental um, inspections and whatnot, and look, looked after the books. Um, I think now, now with computers, it's, uh, um, it's certainly a lot easier than it used to be. But uh, that's that's it. That in a nutshell. Right. There was a big uh, change in the business when we put in those uh, two radios, the VHF, yeah, mobile three to base. You there? <laughs> Where the bloody hell are you, Clarkson? <laughs> I can remember, I can remember uh, the three of us having a hell of an argument about about uh, um, getting a mobile phone. What was that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the uh, we put the aerial up here, but the the uh, that changed the business. Uh, having a radio that was bef before the days of mobile phones, and I can remember you come over the top of the hill at Caston and there just before you got into Caston, and I could get Clarkson on the radio, and I'd say, listen, I'd give him about six, six. Uh, people to ring because in those days um, uh, people were out working all day they didn't have uh, access to a mobile phone and the young fellas today have got no idea how lucky they are because they do 99 percent of their business during the day and people expect it to be done that way now yeah so ron just going on from that um you were sort of as david sort of mentioned you were sort of the hierarchy um did you, were you were you <laughs> were you constantly seeking advice from other people about the business, like talking to people like Frank Escott oh, and that sort oh of yeah, thing? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. yeah, so they were sort of your sounding board, or you sort of spoke to these two more. Oh no, we, we used to have, have kind of um, conflicts, didn't we? Yeah, all, oh, the, yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so. I'm looking at a letter here on the 2nd of September 1988 where you sent out a letter to, um, I guess, all your potential clients or clients that have said they're going to come with you, um, telling them about the start of the business. You said you were going to have a business in real estate, livestock, wool, insurance as a private company. Um, I'm assuming your livestock business was the main, main income. Um, who was sort of the main real estate driver between the three of you? That was Ron as well? Yeah, I used to do most of that. Yeah, and any big land sales, how how long until you came across them as a private company? Or were they still mainly sort of multinational companies? Oh, no, we were doing uh, uh, real estate and we were doing both right from the word go. Okay. I can't really remember what the first, but the houses, uh, you've got to remember, Jimmy McKay's business, he had, the, he had all the houses in the town. Right. Basically, Elders did a bit, which was us. Yep. And he had an insurance arm, which okay. was Norwich Union. That's how we got the Norwich, the insurance business. Right. I, was a, I was a bit interested in insurance and could see that it was potentially be a handy second fiddle earner. And just bear in mind that when we left, livestock prices were pretty ordinary, Ron, weren't they? I, 
Yeah, I reckon we were probably... I showed the boys before I left. The li- we used to sell a lot of live weathers, and that's a trade that's basically stopped here now. There's a few still go every now and again, but they mainly go to the west. But, you know, we're talking 5 to $8 for weathers, I reckon. They might have got to 12 one year. This is in the first few years, and I think yeah, cattle were only... weren't make. Well, put it this way, the first couple of years in the business, I would have been better if I'd stuck with elders, salary-wise. Okay. Yeah. Um, and your original, this is probably for all three of you, really, your original vision of the business when you first sort of started, where did you sort of envision it? Did you have like a short-term goal or was it more just a long-term to sort of make ends meet while you could build it or? Well, it just sort of happened, didn't it? It happened. Yeah. Uh, uh, when you were in elders, they had uh, like every, like, Elders Penola had a boundary. That's Narracourt End, and that was Millicent End, and this was Mount Gambier. And if you had a client down in Mount Gambier, well, you didn't really, because the earning went to the Mount Gambier branch. So when we started, it was basically just a little area around Penola, governed by the boundaries of the border and the branches to the north, okay. east and south. Um, but it didn't take long, and we started to pick up clients from away. That was driven by well, just hunger, just p- hunger and personal connections, really. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, I guess as the business started, in hindsight, was there something you felt you could have probably done better? Yeah. I'm sure there were things, but I've sort of put you on the spot here, Ron. Yeah. Um. Do you think there's anything that you probably could have done better starting out? Anything, David or Peter? It all worked pretty well, really, didn't it? Oh, I think we were very lucky with the loyal clients. That that was really what set us up. Fellows like Byron McDonald, who came on board from Klein, um, and yeah, Michael McCourt. But that was a bit later on, wasn't it, McCourt? Also, Peter, they people they yeah, the, we didn't have much trouble with clients with money. Uh, they were very, and we were also we must make a point about the state bank too, Ron. Absolutely. Now the state bank were, were absolutely marvellous to us. The, um, but um, <coughs> it would it's, it would take a few pages to talk about this for Les McMillan, wouldn't it? He was a bloody character. He um, he ran his own bank. Forgets the Bank of South Australia. And um, you could nearly bet if you've sold a house, no matter how bad it looked, the the the, the, the proposition, the um, finance had come through. Right. And um, anyway, we finished up. He started he started us off. We went to all the banks, didn't we, Pete? Yeah. No, they weren't. In, they didn't want to know us. This Les picked it up. And um, the and what for the first twelve months or two years, the only thing we signed was a, was a car lease, wasn't it? Yeah, no, no mortgages. Oh, I think. Not over the flat. No, no, no. I don't. I don't really think his head office would have been impressed. When they found out, I don't think they. <laughs> <laughs> um, so David, who are, I guess, who are some of the characters in that that stand still stand out to you in the early days that you can remember? Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, Ron mentioned Mrs. Riley. Uh, she she was. She was quite a character. Uh, Judy Rymel quite often used she'd come in here on a Friday afternoon with a little green Dalgetty notebook, and she'd have all her, all her stories in back. <laughs> uh, she she she'd have I told you this one? Uh, Judy was a uh, Clary Smart. Clary was quite a character. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'd, I'd have to. Stop and think for a while, Bradley. But something I almost mentioned too is the help that we got from the meat buyers. Now, bearing in mind in those days there was a lot of big companies like uh, um, it was uh, um, Narracourt, Tommy Trimbath was the buyer for Anglis, Anglis and Bobby Donovan uh, and Les Hannell, uh, and they gave us, I, I'd nearly say in some cases, preferential help, didn't they? Yeah, they did, and uh, that that didn't do us any harm either. And uh, they certainly those those three 
were fantastic to us. I've got a note here um, that in sort of early 90s, 91, that sheep were basically getting shot because they weren't worth a lot. Can you tell me anything about those times? Yes. Um, what happened was Australia had a sheep population of about 100 and... I think it was 188 million was the estimate. And two things happened. We had a bloody rip-snorting drought and we had the wool reserve price scheme whereas the wool industry decided that they would support their own market and they were, they were buying in their own wool and we ended up with i think it was two and a half years wool in the stockpile and a drought and sheep were worth nothing uh, and we had um, the sheep shooting thing and they had pits at the narrow court side yards and in various things pretty sold to storing and uh, and within about uh, 12 or 18 months of that happening, the season changed and, because and when people are restocking, uh, they don't sell anything and the price took off. But it was pretty, that was a pretty tough time. We didn't make any money those years, did we really? Yeah. Um, David, I guess as you were managing the books, uh, I'm told Peter was probably one of the largest agents in the state when the wool job was booming. Yeah. Um, so the wool... Can you give me a rough percentage of what our wool income was compared to? Uh, uh, on a percentage. Not, 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 sorry, I'm not talking just actual income, I'm saying percentage. Uh, on a percentage basis. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't, I'd suggest perhaps between 15 and 20%. Okay, yeah. there you go. Are you going, yeah. going with that? Yeah, the, wool, the early hand of wool, people don't understand, but the early hand of wool wasn't a lot as an agent goes, but if you had the wool clip, you generally had all the business. So if you want a wool clip, you get the old ewes and you get the sheep and you get every opportunity at the cattle. So it, that's because wool was the backbone of the rural industry then, wasn't it? But now it's changed. It, uh, but that's how it was. So that's why it was important to have a good wool business because you generally had all the business from a wool client. Okay. Um, probably to a more personal level, Ron, your family... Uh, throughout this stage it was obviously probably a little bit taxing on them because you're on the phone I grew up in a stock agent home I know how long they're on the phone for each night um, how much of an impact do your family have on when you're going to go out on your own and, and start a business oh they, they, were, they were behind me yep. yeah no worries there yeah basically where I'm going is, so we're moving forward in 1991 a young fellow by the name of Darren Maney joined the company um, any stories about when he first joined and wh why why you decide to go out and get an extra agent, I guess, is the main thing. Well, uh, Darren came up here from Mount Gambier and worked with us in Elders for a short period. I can't, how long, Darren? Six months. Six months, and he was full of fire and fizz. He hadn't changed much. And uh, Elders transferred you to Keith. And obviously you picked, did a good job up there. And when they went on their own, they thought they'd give us Larry Dury and send Darren back to to try and get some of the business to back. To go against you, right. But in the meantime, we'd spoken to Darren. Now, Darren, did you come back here for a while? You did. Yeah, four yeah, years. Four years. Four yeah, years. and then we... 88 to 91, I worked there for four years. You didn't get much business up from me. tried, hey? Yeah, I was cleaning you up. Bullshit. <laughs> 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 Anyhow, he was a good, good young fella, and we decided uh, we offered him a job, and he could see that he was going to get ran out of town if he didn't take it, I suppose. <laughs> um, early memories of Darren, Ron? Yes, uh, uh, what I did find in the first place was his knowledge of livestock was seemed to be very good, and um, his knowledge of keeping his car clean wasn't quite as good. <laughs> Nothing's but, changed. But he was very, but he was pretty, pretty keen, pretty keen young operator. No doubt about that. Yeah, and David. About once a month, I'd call on Darren to go home, get his get his the glass that sits on his desk at at home and bring all the pens and pencils back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so by this stage, you've, uh, you've got four people working for the business, so obviously it's growing slightly. Um, Leanne Thomas joined the company in roughly what year? Leanne Thomas, which which year would she roughly join, Ron? Oh, gee, you got me there, Brad. You reckon about 96? Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. so that's following the departure of David. <coughs> Maybe we'll just take a step back and talk about your departure, David. So it was, for, it was for ill health. We don't have to go into that, but how was that sort of handled? Was the shares 
your shares then divvied up between Ron and Peter? Yes, yes, yeah. they were. Yeah. Um, they, they virtually bought me out. Okay. Um, no, we came to a pretty uh, uh, compatible um, outcome. It was uh, set, set me up uh, in in reasonable reasonable re- retirement. Okay. Um, I was was still a pretty young fellow. I was only fifty four. Yeah. Um, it was it was a kick in the bum for me. Yeah. But uh, uh, my I I knew I knew several two or three months before this happened that um, things were getting me down. Um, I had a, a, a heart problem and, and a, a, it just escalated. Yeah. Um, that's uh, that. Well, that was fixed up, and I, I've been good as gold ever since. Yeah. Um, however, uh, um, Brian took over from me. Brian Foster. Brian Foster. Okay, yeah, right. So yeah. Brian was before Leanne. Yeah. Okay. Before Leanne. Um, so there's like a lot of characters who've come through these doors. We've, we've spoken to Brian Foster. He was the uh, the main books man um, would keep you on your toes. I could be a, probably a way of doing it. He was very astute in his job. How could you describe him, Peter or Ron? Uh, he was uh, he was fastidious in his ways and set in his ways. So throughout these sort of what are we mid nineties sort of now, you've you're continuing your great relationships with SAL, O'Connor and Graney. Um, the what the weiner sales are they growing? They're getting bigger and bigger. We, how what year did the Panola yards close up? Um, when did we start? Nineteen, be nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, eighty eight. We had two. Or it might have been. Yeah, we had two. Uh, elders, elders had two weiner sales after TDC started. And then what you've got to remember, what happened and really fell into TDC's lap a lot in them early days was a fellow by El- El- name of Elliot all of a sudden decided that uh, he wanted to sell all the elders' assets. They were running out of money. So what actually happened was they went around and they were selling all the houses in the towns. And, of course, the Panola sale yards were sitting on a, on a very valuable little site. So they got sold to viticultural interests. So they all went. So that was the end of it. From then on, um, basically... Uh, the last thing that Elders Panola had to hang on to after TDC was their weaner sales, which were basically taken out by Elders uh, grabbing the money. Oh, the government had an inquiry, didn't they, into the uh, sale-out selling centres in the southeast, and the uh, inquiry was that they should shut Lucendale and Panola and Kalangadoo. Kalangadoo had already gone, but yeah. they and and they were going to build one sale-out centre at Weepa. That's right. And then politics got involved and they built a set of yards at Mount Gambier and Millicent. And the yeah. Millicent yard should have never been built. But okay. that's going back into the early 70s. Yeah, yeah. but that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going back to your weaner sales, um, we, we, we did uh, 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 ask if we could use the yards, but they wouldn't let us. Remember? No, that's correct. <laughs> it was probably to our advantage oh. they didn't because we had, a, happen, we had a best... <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the word got around that elders wouldn't let us use the yards, and because they, they, uh, they, uh, the clients didn't like that. So uh, as the the sale narrow court just got bigger and bigger, didn't it? Yeah. So Darren's been with the business for a while, um, and I guess the decision you're you're all getting older, um, in essence, um, and you need sort of a bit of a succession plan. I guess what was the decision between it's pretty really between Ron and Peter um, about when Darren bought into the business. I guess when was it, when did you make the decision that you need to do something about it? Well, we we um, we had an annual meeting with our uh, uh, accountants in Adelaide, who are sort of business managers as well as accountants, and from what I remember, it was decided that. We'd ask Darren if he'd like a share in the business. Uh, negotiations took place, and it basically happened. Uh, and you can go from there. Well, I suppose I, I started to get the stitch too, Peter. And um, I, remember, I don't remember when it was that I decided. Ninety-nine, was it? Yeah. So by the late nineties, you've got. Uh, sorry, I should have mentioned Mark came into the business too. In what year, roughly, Peter? Do you know? Your son, Mark, that is. 
We'll say late nineties. Yeah, late nineties. Well, Mark, uh, Mark, uh, Mark was interested in being a stock agent, but when he he went to to uh, Glen Ormiston, that's right when he left Princes, and at the end of the two years, he just and he was always a bit, still is a bit tech headed, and uh, he joined Auctions Plus, as they called it then. No, it was Calm in Sydney. Uh, and he worked there until he got sick of Sydney and then he decided he'd like to be a stock agent. Well, I didn't think it was a good idea that he came back here and he didn't want it anyhow. Uh, he went and worked for uh, Lanyon's in Hamilton. He said, I'm going to join Elders. I said, <laughs> what are you going to do that for? And he ended up at Lucendale with Elders, but only for 12 months. And they sent him to Pinaroo and then he went to Burke. Uh, no, Will Canyon. Will Canyon. Will Canyon. Yeah. And, of course, then he wanted to get married and not many women want to go and live in Will Kenya, so I said, I think it's about time he came home and the rest is history. He came back here and went on the road. Uh, but he was still always uh, uh, interested in his computer skills and I suppose uh, they've been pretty handy to the business since then, haven't they? So, David, is there... I guess I'm going back to the earlier days again is there any stage that you thought the business was probably going in a different direction to what you originally envisioned uh yes i do uh, I, I could see it gradually and that was just starting to happen when i when i finished up but it was the business was spreading yep. um certainly not to the extent that it is now but the, um towards lucendale um uh, closer to millicent a lot of Clangadoo. Um, no, it, it was uh, and and over the border, there, there was quite a bit of business business being, and that, that that's in that's increased, a hundred percent since I've since I've been out. Right. Okay. Uh, one of the big catalysts for the business expanding out of its out of the, the old Panola area, for want of a better description, was the blue gums. When the yes. blue gums came here. Uh, we sold a lot of blue gum farms, really. I can't remember how many. One year we sold a dozen, didn't we? Well, we, uh, we sold them all. Um, we were the only, in the Penola area, we were, we were the only ages that sold any, I think. Yeah, so... Uh, oh, I remember, that's right. Here's the figures. There was One year we sold 12 farms, and I remember Ronnie saying we're selling ourselves out of business, but of the 12 farms that we sold that year, there were eight of them were our own clients and four of them were people we hadn't done any business with. The eight that we sold of our own clients, uh, four of them retired and the other four moved out of the district, wanted to continue to be farmers and most of them sold, uh, uh, accumulated three times as many acres as they sold in better country. And I'll give you the clients, if I think of them. Yep. Caulfields were one. Giles was another one. Jarvis was another one. And there's not someone else. John Dawkins. John Dawkins. Dawkins, that's right. And they went down to better country. And what actually happened, because they bought three times... Yeah, I mentioned them. Uh, um, and because they bought three times as much country and we continued to do their business outside the area, we actually created more business than we than we lost when we'd done it had done it and, and they're all still clients of ours yeah yeah and and you know because the um Caulfields went over towards Eden Hope all of a sudden we're picking up business from around them and when Giles went to over the, uh, to Lucendale well all of a sudden we started picking up business around them and so uh, the blue guns were a disadvantage in some respects, but to TDC definitely not. It was an advantage. Well, Peter, th th at that time too, there was a run on vineyards, and um, not only were we selling the vineyards for what five grand an acre or more or something, but also we went into the water market, and there was there was there was a pretty lucrative time, wasn't it? Hmm. Do you know a rough estimate of what sort of dollars per acre the blue guns are buying up for? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, early days it was, yeah. And they were going away and buying prime grazing land uh, for that for less than that. 
in better, better country. Right. Okay. Um, so we're sort of late 90s, sort of early 2000s. Um, I believe this is sort of the time, Ron, where you started to sort of wind down a little bit. Um, and I guess you had a, arguably the most important decision in your life to make is when you would retire and when that time would come. Tell me about that time. Do we, was there sort of a... Did you come to the decision? Did Roz force you into the decision? <laughs> into the decision? How, Jim, what do you remember about that time? I was just um, trying to even pick the date up now. I can't stop thinking of it. So, oh, no, I was actually we've just run around out of pub. Um, yeah. Brad, it's... Um, and... Um, uh, it was just probably more more mind wanting to do it than perhaps Peter want to kick me out, so I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, so you're, when you exited the business, what your shares were then sold to, what happened with the share of the company there? Uh, Ronnie, um, Darren, for me and Mark purchased an interest. That's right, yeah. Peter owned 40% of the business, Ron owned 40% of the business, and I owned 20%. And then when Ron got out, that me and Mark purchased them equally. Okay. Purchased Ron's 40% equally, which took me up to 40 and Mark up to 20. And that brought Mark into the business, obviously. Um, any challenges with running a business with a son, Peter, that you'd like to touch on? Oh, yeah, there was... Uh, well... Um, Lucky to have Mark to come back into the business, but and lucky to have a succession plan in place then because Mark was obviously with Darren. You had a succession plan, but uh, oh yeah, there are challenges with any son and father in business, as Ron will tell you, with any son or daughter-in-law in business. But you know, nothing to nothing that you wouldn't do again. It's all good. Yeah. 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 So, I guess. Ron's retired, um, which leaves one one of you left. Um, Peter, you only retired recently, really. Um, I guess, how did you feel once Ron was gone? Did you feel sort of like th that obviously meant you're sort of the hierarchy, I guess. You're mainly the the head of the company. Was that sort of a, did you change your role at all? Oh, I don't know. Darren will tell you whether I did. I don't know whether I did. But it was always, always a hard-working stock. I was really a stock agent. That was my role. Uh but when Ronnie departed, often Darren and I would have discussions and that's when we started to put people on. Yeah. And yeah. we could see that the business had opportunities to evolve, but the only way it could continue to evolve and expand, we had to put more staff on. So that's when we started to really start looking for people. And it hadn't changed, has it, really? Yeah. Um, so... I've just got a few questions. Every podcast I do, I've got a few questions from people that uh, you wouldn't expect. So basically Mark and Darren have come up with these themselves. Actually, this one came from Rob. Have you got any current advice on moving on slash handing over a share of your company? So either any, any of you can answer that. What did you say? Have you got any advice for anyone? If, if, if you were to hand over your shares again to someone or if they were to sell their shares, what advice would you give them? for that time period in their life? Uh, that he's got to work as a team. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's critical. Any business, and it's no different to a sporting team, you have to work as a team. If you don't, trouble. And probably the other thing is make sure your wife wants to do it, because if your wife doesn't want to work with you, it, it makes things very difficult. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and Ron, who was the, who's probably one of the best stock agents you've seen and why? Well, uh, leave TDC out because I think they were the best. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, <coughs> I suppose Frankie Escott, Bob Cleasy. Yeah. There'd be two I'd just spring, spring to mind. Oh, Brian Corridus, of course. He was, he was a legend. And what sort of made those men special at what they did? They were hard workers. Right. Yeah, and could and could and were pretty smart fellows. Could see see an opportunity where where a lot of a lot of them just a lot of the uh, people just plotted along. But um, Brian Corridor was an interesting stock person, wasn't he? Yes, that, that was his. Brian Corridor has, from my observation, probably never been a surpassed stock person. 
as far as RH Cleesy go, he was an all-round business person, wasn't well, he? He could handle staff and he could handle the whole bit. He had the whole gamut with life of real estate and, and used his connections. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, and I don't have a lot else to ask you, really, but David, um, I'll ask all three of you, actually. You can, the other two will have a chance to think about it. David, what do you sort of, how do you feel about TDC today when you look at the business from an outside looking in, I guess? Uh, certain sense of pride. Yep. Bradley, it's a, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to have been able to be uh, part of it at the, at, the, at the beginning. I'm always interested in what's what's going on with the company. Uh, most of the young fellows in the in the show now, I wouldn't have a clue who they are, or yep. what their names were. But um, like, uh, I mean, you've been you've been in it, and uh, um, you know you you know how it works, and it's a, yep. um, a it's something that's that's been set up. I think it's been instilled in everybody that's, that has started. What what a a, a great organisation it is. Yeah, and Peter, I think we're lucky. There's a few things that help uh, along the way, apart from all the good staff and the teamwork, is that uh, is our location in the southeast in Penoli, right in the guts of it, and that has really helped us. Uh, one thing I keep observing, and it really makes my blood boil, uh, is that the way uh, the Rundle Street type people come into the district and really don't understand how intricate a knowledge the local person has got of their farm and the, the proximity of the area and they bring in outside agents to try and sell the, the farm that really they should give the agents to, the, to, to their local agent that's looked after them to sell their farm because I've seen it over and over again. The, these big real estate agents that come in from Melbourne or Adelaide really don't make a good go of it because they don't understand the farm. And uh, but anyhow, that's I don't know how you get around that apart from starting a branch in Adelaide or Melbourne. I don't think I don't think that's ever going to happen. So anyhow, that's a fact. Yep. And Ron, how do you feel about the business? Well, <coughs> the other boys, I do is a sense of pride and. Um, and and I um, sometimes would wish, now, why didn't I stay there? But I don't think that would have been a bit funny. <laughs> um, <coughs> but um, and people come up, and you come up to you in the street and say they have, how well the boys are doing. Well, that's, that's really something that pleases me. Okay. All right. Well, all three of you, uh, Ron Thomas, Peter Garris and David Clarkson, thank you very much.